You can open up your Bibles to the book of Acts as we get into the Word together. We're in Acts chapter 14, verse 8. Acts chapter 14, verse 8. Today the gospel reaches to the outer rim of civilization, at least in the local region. For the first time, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas come upon what would be called a fairly primitive people, a fairly primitive people group, which introduces the historical idea that for thousands of years the Church of Jesus Christ has sent out missionaries into unreached people groups, and that's where some of our most fantastic stories as a church have come from. Let me read a portion of the book Peace Child to you by Don Richardson. I would, if you're looking for a summer read, buy the book Peace Child by Don Richardson. Let me read a story from chapter 6. The year was 1955. His audience was the student body of the Prairie Bible Institute, a campus located in Alberta, Canada. Seven years before this speech, a pilot had discovered, while flying over the uh, Netherlands, New Guinea, a new unreached people group. Villages dotted the land, and so this pilot requested that missionaries be sent to this area. It was 1955. Now the 71-year-old Englishman gripped the pulpit in his large, bony hands and scrutinized the 700 students waiting in silence. His white hair was combed straight back, his spectacles rested halfway down the bridge of his nose. From under tufted brows, his gray eyes shone with an intensity not yet dimmed by age. Something in his presence seemed to transfix the assembly seated before him in the large auditorium. Three words rumbled, deep voice from the old man's lips. Three words waited with his own unique blend of dignity and fervor. Netherlands, New Guinea. This was Ebenezer G. Vine, secretary of the Philadelphia Council of the International Mission Society. Mr. Vine felt a strong sense of purpose as he addressed the student body. He sounded the call for Christian pioneers to plant the banner of the gospel among isolated and potentially hostile Stone Age tribes in interior Netherlands, New Guinea. They suspected there were tens of thousands of people who had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Netherlands, New Guinea, he continued, is the western half of a 1,400-mile long island stretched across the Pacific Ocean north of Australia. He challenged them to go. You may be called upon to make the first advance into the midst of entire tribes that have never known any kind of government control, where people are a law unto themselves, where savagery is a way of life. Then he said this, You will encounter customs and beliefs which will baffle you, but which must be understood if you are to succeed. You will try to treat loathsome tropical diseases and run the risk of being blamed for the death of your patient if you fail. You must prepare to endure loneliness, weariness, and frustration with fortitude. Most of all, you must be prepared in the strength of the Lord to do battle with the Prince of Darkness, who having held these hundreds of tribes captive these many thousands of years, is not about to give them up without a fight. The old man paused and silence hung heavy under the great arch ceiling of the auditorium. How much longer must those lost tribes wait to hear of him who died for their salvation and rose again nearly 2,000 years ago. Our Lord is impatient to establish his kingdom of love in those dark places which are now the habitation of cruelty. Well, 13 students would have answered the call in that auditorium that day. And at the end of the sermon, I will tell you what came of it. 
The call to go and reach unreached people is built into the heart of the gospel. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Christ Jesus, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's to the nations that we must go. Today in the Bible, we will see what happens when Paul and Barnabas reach an unreached group of people. Let's pray, and then we'll get into Acts 14 together. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would move through your word, through your spirit, and through me as your messenger. In the hearts of the people here, we pray that you would transform us into bold, brave, courageous witnesses. The gospel is true. Jesus, you are alive right now. So we should believe it, and we should boldly go and tell everyone about it. But we are so fickle, we are so distracted, we're fearful. Light in our hearts again the fire of passion to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth or to the end of our block. We pray that your word would accomplish this, O Lord, as you've promised. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts 14, verse 8. little context here, first missionary journey. The year is about 46, 47 A.D. Chapters 13 and 14 in the book of Acts will cover a two-year period. This is the great expansion of the gospel out beyond Israel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. When we see the gospel spreading, we will realize that the gospel is true. Jesus is alive, and as they go and tell everyone, we will learn how to go and tell everyone too. So here we are in Acts 14. Verse 8. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. Just imagine him somewhere in the vast Roman Empire, never took his first steps. Such a powerful, proud moment parents get to see, not in this man's life. Never learned to hop, scotch, leap, dance, never ran. Just crippled. From birth, never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, or that could be translated saved, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Wow! Wow, did that just happen? Number one, write this down. There's a note sheet in your bulletin. A lot of you also take notes on the app. Our app has notes built into the app, but if you're taking notes, you're an engaged listener. Number one, a lifelong crippled man was saved and healed by faith in Jesus. A lifelong crippled man was saved and healed by faith in Jesus. The word faith, if you look there in verse 8, or uh, verse 9, seeing that he had faith to be made well. The word faith means he believed what he heard. And the word made well has a dual meaning in the Greek. It could, it could mean you made physically well, you're like healed or rescued from a physical problem, but it simultaneously holds the meaning of being spiritually saved. So it, it means to be saved, rescued, healed all at once. The implication here is he believed the gospel and so he was saved, but that power unlocked Paul's ability to heal him on the spot, too. So he had faith. 
what is faith? Super important that you define this word properly. Your whole eternity hangs on what I'm about to say. So please pay attention. Faith, according to Hebrews 11, is when you're convinced what God said is true. When you're convinced that what God said is true. He says it through messengers. So when you're convinced what God said through messengers is true, that's faith. You also then act like you trust him. That's how you prove that you have truly believed. You're not saved by the good works you do, but the works you do show that you have genuine saving faith. Faith without works is what? Look in a coffin. Faith without works is dead. So do you have saving faith? This man had saving faith. Because of it, the power of God was focused on this man. And when Jesus walked the earth, he had power to those who believed to heal them. And the apostles were given this power through Jesus Christ so that when they found faith, they were able to heal as well. So a lifelong crippled man was saved and healed by faith in Jesus Christ instantly, instantly. He sprang up and began walking. Wow. Write this down. The miracle proves the gospel is true and Paul is an apostle. Why did it happen? The miracle proves the gospel is true and Paul is an apostle. Okay, Bible trivia time. All right, Bible trivia. Maybe you grew up in the church and you did Bible trivia. Number your paper one to two. There's a two-question test, okay? Some of you are really excited. Oh, am I going to get a Tootsie Roll if I win? <laughs> Good memories coming back to you. All right, question number one. Write down the number of people in the Old Testament who were healed from being lame. Write down a number. Number one. How many people in the Old Testament were healed from being lame? Add them all up. And then write down a number. And then, number two, write down the number of people in the New Testament who were healed of being lame. They sprang up and they started walking again. Should I whistle the Jeopardy music? Okay, who's got it right? How many people in the Old Testament were healed of being lame? Zero! It had never happened! Why? Because it doesn't happen because it's impossible. All right, according to the New Testament, how many people in the New Testament were healed of being lame? The correct answer is all of them. Friends, I want you to be amazed at the power of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine every single lame person who was brought to him jumped up and went away leaping and dancing you have never seen anything like this in your entire life, and you never will. That's the power of Jesus Christ. Well, then how does Paul do it? It's very clear in Scripture, and don't get this wrong, that it was the power of Christ in him as an apostle that allowed him to do these incredible things. But don't get this wrong. Are you amazed at the power of Jesus Christ? Some of you have walked in here today, and you've never been amazed by Jesus Christ once. Are you amazed? Now the Apostle Paul is using the power of Jesus to do this miracle. So the miracle proves the gospel is true and Paul is an apostle. The word apostle, Luke uses a few times here in the book of Acts for the first time, I believe, means they were chosen by Jesus Christ. This is capital A apostle. There's only 12 of them and then one went down and then another one and then Paul was installed. Very small number of people, okay? Chosen by Jesus Christ 
witnessed the resurrection, personally commissioned by him to wield the authority of heaven over the church, to do signs and wonders and miracles, and some of them wrote books of the Bible. Okay, Once the apostles died, be very clear on your theology, because some of you are deceived on this. There are no people on earth today who carry that power of the apostle, that mantle of apostolic authority, and if anyone claims to have it, they're deceiving you. Be very clear. The apostles did things that had never been done in the history of the world and had never been done since they died. In 2 Corinthians 12, 12, it says this, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. It was unbelievable. Well, that begs a question. Write this down. Why don't healings happen like that now? I know that's what some of you are thinking. This is a pretty awesome story. Sitting, couldn't use his feet, crippled. Boom, he gets healed. Why doesn't that happen today? Well, in Exodus 4.11, we realize theologically that God is sovereign over all the effects of the fall. So he allows disabilities. Sometimes he supernaturally causes them in Scripture takes away a person's sight, takes away a person's voice. But mostly when you have physical disabilities, they are the result of natural causes playing out, right? So the dis disciples asked Jesus, well, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he was born blind? And what did Jesus say? Neither. But this happened that what? That the glory of God might be displayed in his life. Okay, so it's not just that you're being punished. Sometimes you, you know, you do something in life and you hurt yourself, but Mostly when you face a disability or a physical thing, we all have some physical defaults that are unpleasant that remind us our bodies are flawed. And the older you get, the more when you get that checklist at the doctor, check any that apply, you start checking more and more and more. Eventually you become like an old car. Everything starts to go. I was joking with one guy after his birthday this week, and I said, you know, the older you get, the more people are going to look to you for used parts. Watch out. <laughs> so our bodies grown with the rest of creation. We long for perfect health. You will never get it in this life. This guy's legs worked, but I guarantee he still had other things that were not perfect. Uh, physical problems point us to the power of Christ. When he, when he heals physically, it, po it points us to the power of Christ to save us spiritually. That's the purpose of the miracle. Also, it previews a heavenly kingdom where all of your physical problems will be healed. In the future, they will. And everyone with a bad back said, <laughs> about 17 times in the book of Acts, a miracle led to salvation, but the miracle, listen, the miracle did not cause salvation. Miracles don't cause salvation. These proofs do not save. I like what John Piper said. He said, signs and wonders are God's secondary testimony, secondary testimony to the word of his grace. It's the word of God, the message this man heard that saved him, heard that saved him. Then, secondarily, the sign proved that he had been saved. Write this down. Have you been saved through faith in Jesus? This is the question. Have you heard the message of faith about Jesus, that he died, he rose again, he rules heaven and earth? Have you thought about the question, where are you going after you die? Has your body even kind of reminded you that this world is not your home? And Jesus is Lord of the nations. So here this man, way out in the backwater of the Roman Empire, needs to hear about Jesus. Are you saved? Hey, what Jesus did for bodies on the earth was incredible. But it's meant to show you what only he can do to your soul. 
New legs, not bad, but Jesus wants to make you a brand new creation. That lasts forever. Have you been made a new creation? Maybe right now is your time to believe what you're hearing about Jesus Christ and to be saved. So number one, this lifelong crippled man was saved and healed by faith in Jesus. Wow. Number two, write this down. The crowd confused Paul and Barnabas with gods. This is awesome. Verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? The Bible is hilarious at times. They've reached this point out on the map, second missionary journey, where the people aren't speaking the lo- like they don't speak Greek or Roman or Hebrew, right? They're speaking their own Lyconian language. They're more primitive people. So a party breaks out. Everyone's really excited because this guy got healed. All the whole town's coming out. It's this festival. They're bringing wreaths. They're bringing animals. And I love that Barnabas and Paul are like, we're doing pretty well here. This is looking good. We've had a bad track record so far, but apparently we've hit the jackpot. And then someone comes up and they're like, what are they saying? And if you've ever been in a uh, foreign country where translation has to happen, it's very slow and very tedious. Okay, I've been there. And so this guy starts, oh, oh, they're really excited because you, gods, have come down from heaven. So we're getting ready to offer sacrifices to you. What? Then they realize they're in giant trouble in heaven if they allow this to play out, right? Okay, so Paul runs up, stop, stop, stop. But this is all translation. And so they're like holding the wreath, you know, and the priest of Zeus is there. He's, it's his best day ever because his God is in town. And they're like, stop, stop, stop. Okay, tell them, tell them this, okay? I, I am not, am not Zeus. Zeus. Huh? They don't get it. They don't get it. Because something supernatural that only a God could do just happened. So everyone just for a moment, give me your really confused face. And then scratch your head a little bit. They've got a lot of work to do here. Okay, so the crowd confused Paul and Barnabas with gods. We realize here there's a polytheistic culture. They believe in many gods. They think Paul is Hermes the messenger of the gods. And they think that Barnabas is Zeus, right? The king of all gods has come down. And if they don't make these gods happy, because there was a local legend that probably was around here, if, you don't, if the gods come and you don't make them happy, they will zap you with lightning and kill all of you. We better get out there and make these gods happy. So the crowd confused Paul and Barnabas with gods. Write this down. They rightly assumed only divine power could heal. They rightly, dis- they, right- they were right. Only divine power could heal. Look at verse 11. It says, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Are they right? Yeah, they are right. Only divine power could do this. 
but they're misplacing it. Something heavenly had happened that was impossible on earth. This must mean God's came down. This must mean there's a divine power at work. They are right. But they're wrong in figuring out where the gods actually are. Okay? They're actually right. They're actually really right in assuming there's a divine power in these men. Okay? They are right. But they're wrong in that they don't know the nature that these are actually just men. So they don't understand that it's the Holy, Holy Spirit empowering the force behind these signs and wonders. So 1 Corinthians 12 makes it clear that miracles were a gift of the Holy Spirit given to the apostles. All right, One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So it is the divine Spirit of God working these miracles. It is God's power. And that also you know, unlocks, our, in our theology, we believe God has come down, right? What does Emmanuel mean? What does it mean? God with us. So Jesus came, he said, I have come down from heaven. Let me just say to this, if you're a person who is still trying to figure out what you believe about God and Jesus and the Bible and Christians and church and all that stuff, let me just cut to the heart of the whole thing here. Jesus said, I have come down from heaven. He lived before he lived. He claimed pre-existence. He said, now Father, calling God his own Father, glorify me with the glory I had in your presence before the world existed. If you don't believe Jesus is a divine being, that's where it starts. They were right to assume only a divine power could accomplish what they had just seen. They were right to assume there was divine power in these two guys who came to town. But they assumed that the two of them were more than human. That's where they went wrong. So they rightly assumed only divine power could heal. Write this down. They wrongly assumed that there are many gods, including Paul and Barnabas. That's, the wrong, that's where they went wrong. This is where they had to first win them to monotheism. There are three monotheistic religions in the world, all growing out of Judaism, right? Judaism, that's the Jews. Christianity, that's us. And what's the third one? Islam. Monotheistic faiths, all coming from Abraham. They wrongly assumed here that there were many gods. That's wrong. And around the world, most people who, who grew up in, you know, like India, they are polytheistic. They believe that the nature of the divine is that there are many gods. And therefore, you are kind of divine. There's at least a spark of divine in you. This is wrong. Uh, when I was getting my Bible degree, I had to do a multi-religion study. So I went to, a, I went to a, a Buddhist temple. I went to a mosque and talked to an imam. And I went to a Hindu temple. Here's a picture of the Hindu temple I went to. And at that Hindu temple, there are many gods, idols, set up inside that temple. And people would come in, and they would go before whatever god they wanted to appease, and they would make an offering, and then they would lay on their face, and they would roll from side to side, trying to appease one of the millions of gods that were on the list to appease. It's a life of spiritual bondage. It's a life of fear and slavery. Uh, these gods are cruel, not only toward humans, but toward each other. And it is not true. So monotheism is true. There is one God, not many gods. Because of that, write this down. Do you agree that the gospel is for everyone? Here's a moment in the text that you have to face. Do you believe this? Men, verse 15, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea 
and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Remember in Star Wars when they found the Ewoks and they thought C-3PO was a god? And then Luke messed with them by lifting C-3PO up in the chair and floated him around a little bit. That's kind of what's going on here. You must be a god, right? So write this down. Um, where did I leave off? Oh, do you agree the gospel is for everyone? Do you understand that the gospel is opposed to all false spiritual systems of ritual and all teachings about multiple gods? You live in a day when pluralism is in. There could be many ways to, to God. Pluralism, there's many of them, right? It's also an age of privatism. Hey, whatever you believe, keep it to yourself. And in our country, it's kind of more secular, which means you really don't even need spiritual things at all. It's fine if you have them. So in an age where we are taught pluralism and privatism and secularism, it's pretty tough for me to say, hey, look, there's a lot of people out there in the world who believe in multiple gods, and they can't be true at the same time. There can't be one true God and millions of gods at the same time. So you really have to pick a conviction. And then do you believe that everyone who believes in these false gods must turn to be saved? Friends, we must agree to this with conviction if we are going to go and make disciples for Jesus Christ. We cannot harbor in our hearts this false belief that if people believe other gods, other religions, they'll probably be okay. There goes our passion for missions. There goes our love for the lost. There goes our love for the Lord Jesus Christ who died for these people. We can't heal their wound lightly. And I would challenge you, if you have kind of bought into this nonsense that there are many roads to God and I'm not going to tell anyone what they're doing is wrong, I would ask you to repent of that today. It will kill your heart for outreach. All right, so number one, we see a lifelong crippled man was saved and healed by faith in Jesus. And we're wondering, have we been saved? Number two, we see the crowd confused Paul and Barnabas with gods. And we have to agree that the gospel is for everyone, which is why they got to work preaching. Number three, write this down. Paul and Barnabas tried to correct their error. Paul and Barnabas tried to correct their error. So reviewing again in verse 15, men, why are you doing these things? Here's what they said. We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. This is a sermon. This is a sermon that was slow and tedious and through an interpreter, and he kept it really basic. Write this down. Uh, because God's messengers are just human. So we're co they're correcting their error. Why? Why? Because God's messengers are just human. We're just human. We're just human. We've got to correct you on this because we are just human. Spiritual leaders and messengers, even the apostles who could do signs and wonders, whoa, calm down there. I'm just human like you. Now, we're living in a day today, sadly, in evangelicalism, when many influential preachers and authors and bloggers are trying to convince you they are gods. If only you had the knowledge or the power or the money or the boat or the plane they had, you could be more like God like them. 
please don't be deceived by that. Anyone who's trying to convince you that they're really big, they're really a big deal, come on. Have they healed anybody? No. And even the Apostle Paul is like, hey, 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 uh, it's not us. We're just human, just like you. Just take an inventory right now. Is there a Christian, one particular Christian, who has so much heavy weight in your heart, they can't do any wrong, and you hang on every word that they say, and they're the one who's setting you straight? Watch out, friends. Watch out. They are just like you. And anyone who's trying to tell you they're not just like you, well, I would just beware. God's messengers are just human. I read a really funny story in this Peace Child book that I hope you pick up and read because it will bless you, uh, where one couple who actually went to the mission field and started reaching people, after a long time they were there, they realized that these local tribes believed that if you were near death, your spirit had already gone on. And so they were burying people alive. And so, so this person was dragged out of the river, and they kind of looked dead, and the missionary walked up and checked the pulse, and they're like, no, they're you're not dead. It's okay. And the tribe people were like, what are you talking about? Of course he's dead. They're like, no, I, I checked for a pulse. The heart is still beating. And one of, the, one of the villagers said this, said, well, we know you don't know how death works because um, you never die. But here's, here's how death works. They had assumed these missionaries were such celestial beings that they never died. <laughs> and so the missionaries had to be like, we really messed up. We should have told you from the beginning, we die just like you. We're not gods, okay? We also know about death, and this guy's got a pulse. Still, they didn't believe him. They're like, yeah, he's gone. They finally convinced the tribal people not to bury this guy alive, and they found out that, that there was a demon-possessed, uh, uh, I don't know what they called him there, but a, a witch, basically, She's the one who told them if the person was dead already. So it was this real satanic thing. And, and so they kept this guy alive, and he actually pulled out of it, and he became a Christian. It was awesome. But they had to tell these people, no, 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 we're, we're just like you. Maybe they would have done better as missionaries if they were like, you're right, we do never die. Now get back and listen to everything we say, because we are gods. So... God's messengers are just human. Write this down. They had to correct them because there's one living God who's a good creator. One living God who's a good creator. Why are you doing these things? We're tracking his reasoning in the text. We are also men of like nature with you. That's the nature of man. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. That's the nature of God who, creator, made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. All these gods control different parts. Of, oh, we got to please this God for the soil and this God for the... You know, they actually, when missionaries arrived here in this book and the missionaries went into the water, they, they, they were really nervous. They were like, is this going to upset the river gods that we have been pleasing for thousands of years with our, what's going to happen? In other words, they thought it was spiritually contaminated now. They had gods to please in the river, gods to please on the land, gods to please in the air. So he's freeing them and, and it's creator God because he made all things, he has authority over all things and power over all things. Wow. There is a living God. He's living. God, never forget this, is ever-existing and self-existent. Have you ever heard someone say, well, who made God? Have you ever heard that? Who's heard that complaint before? Well, who made God? 
Our God is not a made God. He is an unmade maker. He is eternally ever-existing and self-existent. I am is the one true God. He's the creator and he's good. He cares for us. He's not capricious. He's not cruel. He wants all to be saved, not doomed. Here it says in past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. He didn't just zap them the moment they invented a false god or worshiped that god. He did not leave himself without witness. He did good by giving you rains from heaven. God did that. Fruitful seasons. God did that. Satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. God did that. God did that. God did that. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain. Put down the reef. We really want to worship you. Such a hunger for the divine. Write this down. Are you willing to tell people they're wrong? Are you willing to tell people they're wrong? Paul and Barnabas may have been tempted to cave, to quit. All right, let's just leave them. They're obviously really wacky. We're just going to walk away. Or to change the message. You're kind of right. Sure, sure, you can keep your little Zeus lightning bolt uh, statue, but start worshiping this God too. They could have messed up in a bunch of ways here. Paul mentions a parallel uh, truth in Acts 17.30. He's preaching another sermon. He says this, The times of ignorance... God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, that's Jesus, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So listen, if we are going to go, that's this whole series, let's go. If we are going to go and if we are going to change the world, we have to do it gently, we have to do it wisely, we have to time it right, but we have to tell people they're wrong. We have to tell people they're wrong. I know that they might feel offended, but it's offensive to God to believe things that are untrue about him. It's God we care about. Have you gotten to the point where you can gently, wisely, at the right time, tell people, I think you're wrong? We have to be able to do that. They certainly had to be able to do it here, before they were worshipped as gods, or they'd be in big trouble in heaven. Number one, all lifelong crippled man was saved and healed by faith in Jesus, and we need to be healed, saved by faith in Jesus. Two, the crowd confused Paul and Barnabas with gods. Do you agree? The gospel is for them, and it's time to get to work. Number three, Paul and Barnabas tried to correct their error. Are you willing to tell people they're wrong? Number four, write this down, finally. Jews showed up and stoned Paul, but God saved him. All right, so they had the situation calmed, and then in verse 19, do you have enemies in life right now? How many of you have enemies in life right now? Put your hand up. Don't point to them if they're in the room, okay? That's unloving. <laughs> do you have enemies who would travel 100 miles to try and get you killed? Welcome to missions. They traveled 100 miles here. They showed up. And what happened? Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds... They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Oh, the fickleness of humanity. You're a god. I, wanna, I, want, I want you to bless me. I'm going to give you a wreath and a bowl. No, 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 stop that. Okay, fine. And then new guys come to town. They're actually liars, and they've blasphemed, and they don't believe in your god anyway, so we should kill them. All right, let's kill them then. One day you're in, the next day you're out. It was the Jews who led the charge. Stoning them was a Jewish penalty for blasphemy. See, these Jews wanted Moses to stay in charge, the Old Testament. They need to follow Moses. 
Therefore, this was blasphemy, talking about this Jesus as if he's a god. So they stoned Paul, and it says, dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. Friends, you don't survive a stoning. They're not throwing pebbles. These are the big rocks. There's a lot of headshots. They don't stop until they feel like the job is done. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. It doesn't say he was raised from the dead, but there was a lot miraculous here. You don't get up after that. You don't walk back into the city after that. You don't go on a 60-mile journey through the mountainous terrain. You're in the ICU. Something miraculous happened here. Plus, they left him alone. All right? They didn't finish the job. So we really have great context clues to assume that God raised Paul up, at least from near death, if not death, healed him with the ability to go on. God saved him. Jesus, or uh, Jews showed up, stoned Paul, but God saved him. If you're following closely in your Bible, you're supposed to be reminded of something here, reminded of something here. Was there just a passage recently where someone else was thought to be a God? Who was that? Do you remember a couple weeks ago? Who was it that was suspected to be a God in the book of Acts? Who was it? Who? Who? The, right, but, but after that, after that. Herod! Remember the Herod family? I put the wicked tree up there and showed you, he showed up, right? Oh, the Caesars are the words of the God! And what did God do to him? Struck him dead. Worm infestation in the gut, terrible way to die. Because he didn't correct the error. He didn't correct the error. So we learn a lot about humanity here. We're, we're supposed to, in the context when things repeat, we're supposed to notice that repetition and figure out what we're supposed to learn. What we learn is that Herod was killed for his pride and pomp because he claimed to be a god. Paul was stoned for his humility and integrity by man because he claimed not to be a god. And he claimed Jesus was a god. That teaches us a lot about humanity. It's sad and shocking that as humans, listen, this is us, as humans, we would rather worship a mortal than repent and worship the true God. Wow. Write this down. We can't control how people respond to the gospel. We can't control that. I'm taking away the reasons why we are afraid to share our faith. We're afraid to share our faith because we don't know how people are going to react. What if she gets mad at me and never talks to me again? What if, what if I lose my job? What if, what if, what if? We're worried, right? We can't control how people respond to the gospel. There were miracle signs and wonders done on the reg in Scripture, and it doesn't matter. So when people react poorly, you're not doing anything wrong. Their heart is hard. They're wrestling with God, and some will just flat out say no, even though they have every reason to say yes. So they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. The disciples gathered around him. They rose, and he went on with Barnabas to Derby. This is awesome. We can't, the Jews represent people who should know better. They had the Old Testament. They knew that the promises of God had come. They knew Jesus was the Messiah, and they didn't care. In Isaiah 35, 6, we'll put that up on the screen. Look at what it says. Let's go ahead and put Isaiah 35, 6 up on the screen. Do you have that verse? Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This is in the context in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before it happened, of the Messiah arriving. They show up and they don't care. Jesus warned us of this in John 12, 37. We'll put that on the screen too. Jesus said, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Hey, you can't control the reaction you get. 
and you shouldn't worry about it. We just have to be faithful to proclaim the message. And write this down. We have to be prepared to suffer for the gospel. Okay, maybe if I say it just right, and I don't say anything wrong, and I have all the answers to their questions, then they'll really like me, and they'll really like Jesus. Uh, no, no. You're going to get it, okay? They're going to give it to you. You're going to get it. They're not going to like you. They're not going to respond well. You're going to be looked at differently. They're going to murmur. They're going to they're gonna have rumors. They're going to, you're one of those people. You're one of those people. All right, decades ago, it was, you're one of those good people who thinks you're better than everyone else. Today, it's you're one of those dangerous people who's trying to turn everyone into extremists. You can't avoid that. You can't avoid that. Reflecting on this time in his mission, 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 12. This is late in Paul's life. He's reflecting on this. Here's what he says. We'll put it on the screen. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my... He did a lot of things right. What happened? My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. We're right there. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire, that's you, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you want to live a godly life? Yes or no? Do you want to be persecuted? No. Will you be persecuted? Yes. Write this down. So do you believe God will protect you and use you to save many? Do you believe God will protect you and use you to save many? Do you see how this passage shows us the power of Jesus at work? This is being proclaimed to you today so that you believe the gospel is true and Jesus is alive and everyone needs to hear it. But within this passage, we find all of these different reasons that we don't go, that we don't share. There's all these different ways we can mess up. And it shows us our nature as humans to not want to believe the truth. But look what you heard today. In the name of Jesus, a crippled man jumped up and began dancing and walking and running. Do you know what that means? It means it's true and Jesus is alive. The crowd was way off. Do you know what that means? There's going to be some people who are way off when you tell them about Jesus. Paul and Barnabas, they kept at it. They corrected. You know what that means? You're going to have to correct some people on what they believe. And then, reading on, how does it end? This is so awesome. It says in verse 21, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Hey, friends, God's going to use you. Many people are going to be impacted by your faith. Many. God's going to use us. He already has. He's going to continue to use us. So let me close by challenging you, by challenging us. This whole series is about let's go change the world. Are you ready? Are you ready to go? Are you ready to tell your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers? Are you ready to suffer when you do? And are you ready to believe God will protect you and use you? Hey, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I praise you because you are good and because the gospel is true. And Lord, as I close here, I just want to celebrate what you did. I started a story in my opening prayer. 
And I want to give you glory for how that story ended. It began with an old man challenging Christians to go to this unreached people group. They thought there were tens of thousands of people there who had never heard the gospel. And an old man said, how much longer must those lost tribes wait to hear of him who died for their salvation and rose again nearly 2,000 years ago? Lord, from that crowd, 13 people surrendered their lives to go. They didn't know what they were going to. They didn't know who they would reach. But ultimately, they would find a primitive civilization of 300,000 people tucked away in these jungles who had never heard the gospel. Praise you that that task force would grow to 30. By 1965, 14,000 of those primitive people were already transformed by the gospel. By 1971, there were hundreds of congregations worshiping and praising you. Lord, I call out today that we would surrender ourselves to go and to reach people who have not been reached with the gospel. Maybe that's someone who's at the gym. Maybe that's someone who's at Aldi. Maybe that's someone who we meet on a vacation. Maybe we do go on a short-term mission trip. Maybe there are some here, you're stirring their heart to surrender to a lifetime of service on the mission field. I believe your spirit is at work. May we as a church answer the call, here I am, send me. May we speak with boldness and not care the reaction we get. May we believe you will use us. Lord, there are some here today who have never repented of their sins. They came into the room today with no fear of hell, no guilt or shame of sin, and no sense of awe for Jesus Christ. Maybe today they see Jesus, that you are alive, the gospel is true, and they should believe it. Like that man who had never walked, who heard the message of Paul, and believed. Maybe right now they have saving faith, and they want to say in their heart, Jesus, I believe. I believe. Save my soul forever. You are alive. You're divine. Save my soul forever and ever and ever. Lord, whoever calls out to you, you will not turn away. So reassure them that you will save them. You will prepare a place for them. And even better, you will use them here to go and make disciples of all nations. Fill us with your spirit. Empower us as your messengers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.